everyone. Welcome to News Across the Galaxy. As always, thank you for joining us, particularly today, for a very special episode. Here in Los Angeles, we have been blessed with some of the greatest sportscasters across various sports, including Ben Scully, Chick Hearn, Bob Miller, and Ralph Lawler. If you grew up in the LA area and tuned in via radio or TV, you still remember their voices as they chronicle some of the most memorable moments in sports history. Yet, there is another distinguished voice that is beloved and instantly recognizable by the Los Angeles Galaxy family. Joe Tatino is as humble as he is gifted, a true gentleman, and a consummate professional on the mic. As he narrates the beautiful game with those set tones of his voice, he has provided the soundtrack to many of the most unforgettable moments in Galaxy history. Before we begin, thank you for joining us, Mr. Tatino. Having you join us on News Across the Galaxy is a real treat and something that we have been looking forward to with increasing anticipation. Well, well guys, thank you very much. Um, those those are legends. Those guys are uh, immortal. And, uh, you know, it's very kind of you guys to say that and include me in that group. But uh, give me 44 more years and we'll go from there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Hey Joe, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the uh, the obvious question, uh, you know, what what inspired you or did anybody inspire you to to look for a career in broadcasting? You know, uh, Tony, I'm sorry, Edgar mentioned mm-hmm. Chick Hearn, uh, Vince Scully, you know, like myself, uh, Joe Tatino. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so anybody in in, uh, in <laughs> you growing up that you watched or listened to that. Uh, made you want to follow this career? I, I didn't think I was going to be in broadcasting until uh, after high school, honestly. I thought I didn't know what I was going to do, honestly, in high school um, until I got injured in sophomore year and uh, decided that I was going to be a sports writer, went into the journalism class, became the sports editor, and thought I was going to be a writer out of high school. And, and I just wasn't getting the answers I wanted uh, from the universities, local universities and the community colleges, because I want to go from here to there in a hurry. I wasn't into doing more than what I already did in high school. I already took trigonometry in high school. I didn't need that to go where I wanted to go. And so I was, I wanted to find the straight line. And I was just sitting in my parents' home the summer after I graduated from high school. And I saw a commercial for Columbia School of Broadcasting. And I said, well, you know, when I'm watching sports, I tend to see it well on TV. And in the stadium or wherever I am, so I'm going to do that. And my family wasn't very happy about it, uh, honestly, because, you know, an immigrant family, you go to work. You know, you start making money, you know, and, or, you, or you're really going to be something, you know, I don't know, a doctor, an architect, something. Uh, and, and not a broadcaster. They were okay with me being a writer, but changing that to broadcasting, uh, you know, you have a family that speaks broke English. They're saying, how are you, you going to be a broadcaster? And so that's really the direction I went in. Um, in terms of all the, me- the the great names you guys mentioned, I grew up watching them, of course. I mean, in fact, you know, Bob Miller and Nick Nixon, they used to simulcast in the late 80s and into the early 90s, and we had the Kings on my original station, uh, Extra Sports 690, where I started. And uh, I was one of their board-op engineers at the time for, for a couple of seasons there. And uh, they used to simulcast TV and radio, and they would switch off periods doing play-by-play, radio and television. That's how it was until they split that broadcast and, and went in a different direction. So I got a good dose of some of the greatest. Uh, Chick Hearn, I got to meet when I, I got into radio. 
and uh, certainly watching the Lakers on television. You know, Vince Scully is Vince Scully. Everybody wants to be Vince Scully, but nobody can be because he, he is one of a kind. Nobody will ever be Vince Scully. I, I know you guys need to know that because, uh, number one, you'll never have somebody like him again. And number two, uh, the industry, unfortunately, doesn't allow it to have just one broadcaster in the booth. And so that's that's a little bit different. But I grew up around guys, uh, in, you know, in my hometown of San Diego and soccer was a, a gentleman by the name of Randy Hahn, uh, who had a very energetic delivery and and you can listen to on radio and you can see the game on radio and also on television. He had, he brought that same energy. And that would be the guy that kind of affected me as a 14, 15 year old kid. Um, but uh, but in terms of when I went the broadcasting route, I didn't say I want to be on the, like this guy or that guy or everybody wanted to be Chris Berman uh, in the in the late 80s and, and the booyahs and all that other stuff that was going on with ESPN. And, and I just never really was that person. I was more of trying to bring you a, you know, an honest delivery, uh, clear. Um, my voice always projected as a, as a child, always going forward. And, and that's kind of eventually you build a style and you go from there. Um, was there a specific event or you mentioned a lot of different people, but was there a specific person maybe that made you realize that you had a future as a sportscaster? No, there wasn't because I didn't know what I was doing. Honestly, I was 18 years old getting into the business. I was 19 when I was first hired. Um, there were guys that I had a lot of respect for people that were around me when I first started, it was a news station. Uh, so I have a news background as a, as a news producer for our morning shows, as well as, you know, you learn how to write uh, for copy on air and things like that. Uh, and then you learn from them, some of the guys that are around you, how to deliver news uh, and how to write news and so forth. And when we flipped on to sports and became an all sports station, it was basically the second all sports station in the country. None of us really knew what was going on. We, we thought how it should be and we used whatever talents we had that we brought in from being in news and we applied it to sports. We were all sports fans, but you know, we all made a bunch of mistakes along the way. Fortunately for us, we figured it out within a couple of years and, and we were successful as a station, but, uh, not really. I mean, I was teamed with uh, Jim Rome. We were together for five years, his, his personality, his delivery, much different than mine, but we made a great team together and we put together a very good show uh, from our nighttime slot to our midday slot to our national show that we created. So I didn't take much from Jim other than being who I am and what I am on the air and what I am off the air. I try to be the same person. Um, I'm not one that has shtick. Other guys have shtick. And, and I never felt that was me because I don't think I can pull it off on a, on a consistent basis. So I'd rather be uh, myself because I know I can be myself. At least I know that. It's interesting that you bring up Jim Rome because I can't, when I think of Jim Rome and you, it's like night and day. Yeah. Well, Jim Jim wasn't uh, anti-soccer until he and I split. <laughs> and in fact, during the 1994 <laughs> World Cup, nobody covered the World Cup better than we did on our show. Uh, basically because of me, because I love this, I love the game, and and I would I would bring that to the to the show as well. And unfortunately. You know, you have to look at, you have to think about something here, though. On a national scale, the U.S. national team 
has not lived up to expectations. You know, the Lakers go into a season, you expect the championship. The Dodgers go into a season, you expect the championship. The Galaxy go into a season, you expect the championship. Well, unfortunately, on the world scale, the U.S. men's national team hasn't reached that level yet. And I think when you do a national show and you back that type of team, when there are a bunch of fans that are Germany fans, Italy fans, Brazil fans, France fans, England fans, even though they haven't won in two generations, um, you know, you, you put yourself in a bad situation. So rather than having to deal with those daggers all the time, you just flip it around and say, we suck. <laughs> and you go from there. I mean, he, we did it with NASCAR for many years until, until he figured out that NASCAR was an important audience for him. Uh, I don't know if Eddie and Tony uh, remember, but I remember that that real vicious rant that Tony, I mean, that, um, yeah, that Jim went on um, regarding the U.S.'s loss to, to Iran. And I remember listening to it live and it, oh, my God, whoo, <laughs> it got me heated. I was like, oh, no. Yeah, uh, and, and but, it's unfortunate, but, but and I'm not trying to defend Jim here. The United States of America, we need to step up. We need to be better. And there's nobody in soccer in the United States of America that on the men's side uh, is not going to agree with that. We don't like hearing it. We don't like somebody telling us the situation, especially on a radio station or a television station that is inside our country, you know, talking to us. But it is a hard reality right now, and, and we're trying to find our way. Now, having said that, in 2002, we reached the type of expectations that I have for this uh, for the U.S. men's national team on a regular basis. The women, uh, they keep on raising the bar for everybody. And, uh, and, and someday, hopefully sooner than later, We'll have enough men uh, to fill out rosters to a point where all 23 spots will be competed for by multiple players as opposed to the final spots. Eh, these are the guys. And that's and then I want the U.S. to win more than anybody else. You know, I'm, I'm right there with everybody. It's just, you know, to me, I'm an Italian-American, as you guys know. I mean, if the U.S. plays Italy, I, I have my U.S. shirt on. Like right now, the flag is on my, my shirt, and, and that's and that's how it works for me. Um, but I think it's it's important for us to be honest about where we are right now. Not happy about it, but honest about it. I think they're going in the right direction. You guys see the players that are playing abroad. You see the players that are being developed from Major League Soccer and are going abroad. Um, we are in a better place than we were five years ago. Unfortunately, we haven't had enough games and the international level to show it, you know, hopefully soon. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to sidetrack a little bit since we're on the U.S. topic. What, what is more important to you, uh, uh, Joe? Do you think it's more important for more more American players to go play abroad? Or do you think the domestic product has to, has to, has to strive in order for us to be uh, successful in the, in the world stage? I think it's a it's a difficult situation. I think it's a one it's an individual uh, question. Um, if Christian Pulisic began his career here in the United States, I'm not sure he would give be given the credit he is getting today at Chelsea, uh, because again, unfortunately, the media that covers our sport in this country uh, won't give credit to the league that we have right now for developing the players 
and to uh, the highest level and you say, well, you have to go play abroad. You have to be there. You have to go do it there before you're somebody. And okay, then we have to send some of these guys over there to do it there to be somebody. Having said that, not everybody should go abroad because we've had plenty of guys go abroad and, and rot on benches and ruin their careers. You know, fortunately for Sebastian Legette, he came back to the United States and made himself a U.S. national team player. So what he got from there as a youth at West Ham and brought it back as a professional here with the Galaxy, that has worked out. So that's why I say it's, it depends on the individual, um, you know, where we can develop them. Think about it this way. We're not trying to develop goal scorers that fans may buy tickets for to watch and play at MLS games. We tend, if you watch social media and all the banner that is on social media and even the reports of the rumors of who's coming to Major League Soccer, they're all guys who have made names for themselves at other places. We never talk about, here's Joe Smith. And this guy's 20 years old, and this guy's great. He's a great American. He's going to go play for the L.A. Galaxy, and he's going to be their target forward. And, and at that point, I mean, it's, it's just a perception situation for these guys right now that we have to cycle on through, that the U.S. men have to cycle on through. I think, I think the other example that I would bring you right now is look what's happening with the U.S. women's players. They, they are the cream of the crop. And they are the ones that are now playing in Europe because the European teams are saying, for us to become relevant on the women's side, we need Morgan. We need um, Rose, I forget her name, Lavelle. We need those players. And that's where we are on the men's side here. It's unfortunate. I hate it. I wish we were further ahead. But I think that's where we are right now. You know, Joe, uh, going in at this pace, though, uh, how far do you think or how long do you think before we reach those levels? I, I don't know. It's hard to say because I think what happened, if you look at 2002, we had a very good team. We thought we were going to be better in 2006, but then we realized we got a young team in 2006 and we had a veteran team in 2002 looking back on that. So we cycled on through. So right now, well, at that time, we were a country that we would cycle up, cycle down cycle up and cycle down and and then we hit a bump in the road uh, for a few years here and we got embarrassed by not making it to the world cup and so we have to deal with that and, and overcome that and now we've had a, a pandemic that has slowed that down um i think greg berhalter is making strides i think um uh, he has brought in a style that he's making the united states better at what we can do uh, but actually a little more refined. Now we have to see them all come together. You know, Josh Sargent, Christian Pulisic. Uh, who's going to play the forward? Is it going to be, you, you tell me, who's the target forward for the United States right now? Josie Altador? A little long of the tooth now, right? Yeah. But if he's our best guy, you put him out there. That's, that's, that's where we are right now. We are just an unfinished product at every position. Having said that, they're coming. Look at the academy kids that are being built now. Look at the new academy system that the Galaxy is part of with Major League Soccer. We're starting to harvest this young talent, and now we're, we're hopefully build the fruits that will bring us enough players to where we can, you know, have the cream of the crop, as opposed to I think we've been fragmented for for a generation, to tell you the truth. Yeah. 
Um, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, yeah. um, we're 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 fascinated about uh, the, your career and, and how you got to be where you are today. And you, we had a conversation. I remember before the season started, you, you were telling us about growing up, you know, with you know, in your Italian family and. Um, when you first mapped out your career, did you ever expect to be where you are today, uh, working alongside Kobe? Uh, well, no. I thought I was going to be an indoor soccer play-by-play announcer because we didn't have an outdoor league. And I never had an idea that we'd have another outdoor league here, even though we had the 94 World Cup. You just didn't have a feel that we were going to have an outdoor league And I think the first couple of years of Major League Soccer, in fact, probably uh, the first five years of Major League Soccer, there was always thoughts that, okay, how long is this going to last? I grew up with the old North American Soccer League outdoors, and that was just like, okay, we're waiting for it to die, waiting for it to die. It died. Then we had to go, you know, watch indoor soccer. All those players had to go play indoor soccer, and it was exciting for a time because there were very talented players playing in tight quarters and and uh, and it was a, an exciting game and I, and I grew up in San Diego and we had a great team and kept on winning championships but again you got to understand as a, as a 13 14 15 year old in the back of my mind if my team didn't win a championship I didn't think they were going to come back so that was that was kind of the feeling of soccer in this country when I went into broadcasting there was an indoor there was an indoor league I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be an indoor soccer play-by-play guy because there was no outdoor soccer from a, from a national perspective. And, and that was my first job as play-by-play. I was the play-by-play announcer for the Anaheim Splash uh, at the Pond. At the time, it was called the Pond. And, uh, and I did a couple of years there. Uh, from there, that gave me an opportunity to work at Fox Sports World. Uh, from there, I met uh, Rick Davis. We were doing uh, the Italian League for Fox Sports World. And from there, the league got underway. MLS got underway, and and I was being a pain in the butt to the LA Galaxy's ownership, uh, have them to hire me. And I was, you know, the league got underway in '96. So I was 26 years old, and uh, and Danny Villanueva, uh, one of the owners there, was the one I was talking to, uh, giving him a hard time. He he allowed me to do the public address for the very first game. Uh, but they didn't have any English play-by-play on a regular basis, radio and television. There were one-off games for a little while. And then uh, then I was hired to do uh, what was Galaxy Talk on my station in 97 and 98. And again, we were paired. Rick Davis and I were paired again to do that show, a weekly show every Saturday. Uh, we did about, I don't know, 30, 35 weeks a year, something like that. Uh, and uh, through the championship. And, and then in 99, finally... Um, the Galaxy were in a position to where they were going to do all games on TV and radio. Excuse me, 10 games on TV, all games on radio. And I got an opportunity at that point uh, to do the play-by-play again for the you know beginning for the Galaxy and going through from there. Okay. Um, since uh, we brought it up, I was wondering if you could tell us uh, about your childhood and growing up in a soccer family and when at a time when there was very little soccer on the airwaves or even in the newspapers well i mean it was uh i grew up watching soccer made in germany the one hour cut down show on pbs that they would show and uh, was it toby charles was doing the play-by-play and uh, 
Carl Heinz Rummenigger. That's the name I would I would hear in my head all the time because every week that game would be on or they would be playing. We would watch that for an hour and and once in a while uh, along the public broadcasting channels there would be yeah you know an Italian show that would show some of the Italian soccer. Very limited though. Um, you know, it was just a different situation. I mean, I grew up playing rec soccer. Uh, North Park Rec is where I grew up playing soccer. And, uh, you know, my first team and, and our first league, you know, we had the goalposts, but we had no nets. And my dad was a former fisherman. <laughs> and my dad went down to the docks, I guess, went to a, to a boat or whatever he did. And he, he brings home these nets and he cut them to size. You know, he's, and we put up fishing nets as goal nets. <laughs> and and that's what you did. And, and then you went from there and, you you know, and then your next team, you got a real uniform. And you're pretty excited about that. And and you kind of go and you keep going. And, and for me, it just was a, I was a soccer kid first, uh, an American football uh, kid next, uh, which I like to watch, of course. Um, and those were the two sports that I really liked. And then eventually it was introduced to hockey. Um, you know, we had the Clippers in San Diego when I was a kid. They were not very good. Um, they were driven out by the San Diego Soccers who outdrew them three to one at the sports arena there. So that's how it was, you know, in the early eighties, things were a little bit different. I, I got to ask though, Joe. Since we're speaking about other sports and you're telling, me, telling us about the fact that you like football, too, what are your teams, man? We got to know. Well, for 10 years, I was the executive producer of the Chargers games on radio. And, uh, and of course, went through the Super Bowl the first time around with them uh, into Miami and spent 11 days with them. I grew up a Chargers fan. I mean, that's that was my team. Uh, you know, through Air Coriel and all that stuff. And I know that I'm dating myself because you guys are thinking, Air Coriel, what was that? Chargers <laughs> offense... In, in the in the late 70s in the 80s was the best in the National Football League and every offense you see today is off that is built off of that basic uh, architecture going forward they changed the game um, having said that unfortunately my team let me down all the time but fortunately for me they were blue and gold so I kept my colors I'm good to go Nice, nice. And they followed you to the stadium they did they did I wasn't very happy with them being in our stadium. But I understand what had to be done had to be done, um, and now they're now they're off to their other stadium uh, that's been built and opened up last night. And then, good luck to them. I think they're one and zero. They beat Cincinnati yesterday, from what I understand. The Rams got the win as well. So, uh, the two American Football League teams are off and running. Um, you mentioned uh, when you first started doing professional broadcasting, but do you? remember the very first time you ever narrated any sporting event and I'm curious to know how that experience was for you yeah I was in broadcast school at the time and it was an indoor soccer game and uh, I picked up three internships one at the radio station that hired me one at the soccer team uh, because I wanted to broadcast games and so I felt that was my in and, and the other one was the NBC television affiliate as well and, and so I learned how to edit and produce and, and put together sports casts on TV newscasts for radio and in my case the opportunity to be with the team uh that that i loved as a child and uh an opportunity to call their names into a cassette deck and that's how i critiqued myself while i was in school you know i'd call a game i mean before the game we would help set up the press box there were no elevators in this arena we would bring up these 19-inch TVs that had to weigh 200 pounds a piece, and you throw them up on your shoulders, and you keep oh, on walking all the way up there, and and you you set it all up, and, and then I got the opportunity to call the games, 
and I had a little headset and I had a tape deck and I would be calling the games and the media that was covering the games at the time, they were right in front of me and, and they were kind of looking back at me because again, I had a little knack of seeing a game, a goal develop. The guys that were running or covering the game, they, they were just doing it because they were assigned to do it. They were not soccer writers. I mean, there was maybe one of the five guys that were there at the time. And those were, you know, they were there like, oh, I got to cover soccer. And for me, I was excited to be there. And so, and, and so that was my first, that was it. I, you know, it was, it was indoor soccer. It was into a tape deck. It was part of my internship. And, and, uh, uh, the person I was interning for, he would get a tape. And then the, the person I was going to school here in San Diego, the director of school, he'd, he'd get a tape and they would both critique me along the way. And, and, uh, I was a screamer as a kid and I'm, I'm still that screamer today. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now that you mentioned that, um, you uh, as you developed your own style, um, did, was there anybody that you looked to for inspiration? I, you know, from time to time, and he was nice enough to to take a tape or two. It was, um, you know, JP Della Camera was doing indoor soccer at that time also, and I got a chance to meet him, and and uh, he would listen to a couple of games and, and give me some critique along the way, and. Um, you know, I got a chance to work with Randy Hahn. He ended up working at the same radio station I was at, and and we had the games on our station. And so I worked with him and learned a little bit from him. Um, a gentleman by the name of Lee Hamilton was the voice of the Chargers, and so I was able to be around him a lot. But there was never a situation to where I said, I need to go shadow this guy or shadow that guy. It was more of uh, just kind of taking it all in along the way. and And, and I think that's kind of how I developed the style. It was more of taking a little bit from here, taking a little bit from there, the professionalism of Bob Miller and how he delivered a game, the smoothness of his delivery. Um, Chick Hearn, uh, the biggest Lakers fan around, uh, he would he would praise them and he would also tell them when they weren't playing well. Um, those are the things. I don't think I, I, I wrote them down. I said I had to be that way. But those are the people that may have influenced me along the way. You've mentioned, uh, I mean, people that are famous for not being what are called, you know, homers. Mm -hmm. You know, like Vince Scully, Bob Miller, Chick Hearn, they, they were never homers. You know, they, 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 they were very fair and equal the way they treated the home team and the visiting team. And is that something that you consciously made an effort to be like, I'm going to be impartial. I'm going to call it down the middle. Or was it something that, you know, you constantly have to be like, okay, you know, I got to be fair to both teams. Uh, because, I mean, personally, I appreciate that. <laughs> when I, I've been in, um, I mean, I've traveled a lot. And there's times when I'll go to like a sporting event or I'll listen to a sporting event in another state. And I hear like the broadcast and they're going nuts over the home team. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know, that's fine. But it sounds like... You know, it's not what I grew up with, and um, to me, it's a little jarring. Yeah, I I'll bring it back to why sports radio doesn't work well with with soccer is because the guys that were doing the talk shows didn't know anything about the sport of soccer, and therefore they could not be objective. Luckily for me, I played, and I could be at least objective enough. I was a, you know a five seven goalkeeper that was rather <clears throat> round, and you guys certainly know that when I was. Um, but I had to, you can see the game. And when somebody scores on you or does something well, it's not necessarily because you made the mistake. Uh, and, and I think 
that's what I've always taken from this. Is if the opponent the opponent does something good, and, and and beats the other player, they they did something good. It, it, you know, they 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 did a good job. And sometimes you, you I mean, I'm not going to go tip my you know jump out of the broadcast booth and 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 be excited about it to a point where you know I'm going to pat them on the back. But you do have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge when a team is bossing the game. At least, you know, I mean, also the fact is you guys aren't dumb. You guys know your game you love. And and for me to say something that's untrue, well, at some point I'm going to lose my credibility with you. And, and, uh, and that's most important because otherwise, you know, what I hate to hear is, is somebody said, I watched the game, but I turned the video, the, the audio down because I just can't listen to those guys. And I see that all the time on social media. And I hope we can be good enough that we're not those guys. That's okay. I'll say the names for you, Taylor Twoman and Mr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, you know what? You, you said uh, you, uh, you know you're not you do your best not being a homer. So that totally takes me out of the picture of ever being a broadcaster because I get a little too excited. Uh, but let me. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean you you can be excited. I, I'm excited about the Galaxy. Trust me. When they that when they won the championship in 2014 on the final call, I kind of lost my breath and I had to kind of pause a little bit to regroup myself. <laughs> Uh, you know, so it's it's good to be excited, and you should be excited about the team you broadcast for. I broadcast for LA Galaxy fans, and I know that we get national distribution these days with the ESPN Plus and all the other things that go on. Um, but ultimately, it's Galaxy fans that are watching the Galaxy games, uh, the ones that I do, and so and so I know my audience, and to know your audience is very important. Uh, it's just it's just not to. Not to pee on their feet and and tell you tell them it's raining. You got to be honest with them also, because you're watching the game and, and you'll and if you think Christian Pavone should have taken the shot instead of passing it to Efron Alvarez and I said he did the right thing, well, maybe. But if I do it all the time, at some point you're going to say, okay, this guy is just you know Pollyanna, and and that's and that's what you don't want to be. And unfortunately for me, the Galaxy has been, has been such a great organization that, that they've always put a team on the field that uh, puts us in a situation to where um, they have an opportunity for greatness. Right. And, of course, the whole Galaxy universe loves you, and you're the perfect you know, <laughs> role model to look up to. So any advice to anyone that might be watching that wants to get into sports broadcasting? I, I think you need to be hands-on. I think you have to learn everything behind the scenes uh, as you guys are doing now. Uh, I think you have to do as many games as possible. Put yourself in a position um, to put yourself, uh, you know, doing the tape decks. I mean, at some point you have to get to a point where you're not embarrassed by doing what you what you love. And that was me. I mean, I didn't care if somebody turned around and gave me a dirty look. I didn't care if, you know, somebody was like, what are these guys doing behind a goal calling a game that's not being broadcast anywhere? I didn't care about that because the goal was for me to get better. And you only get better in broadcasting by broadcasting. You don't get better by taking a test. You don't get better by writing down the correct answers that some professor might, you know, subjectively feel the, the, the correct answer. And that's how you guys were asking me, how do you build your style? You build your style by working and keeping on working and finding what fits into what you do and you build your rhythm and then you create that persona that you are. All said. Fantastic. Uh, I have a question for you. 
you've been with the LA Galaxy since 1996 uh, when you were the you know the public sure. address announcer, like for the matches at the Rose Bowl. Um, but uh, are there certain aspects of 1996 and those first few wild years mm -hmm. that make you feel nostalgic and you wish you could relive? Well, I mean, 96 was great for me for the first game I was doing the public address and the fact that, you know, nobody expected to have 69,200 and whatever fans were in the building. You know, I can tell you right now, they expected about 30,000. Uh, the, the building, the, the Rose Bowl was set up for that. As you guys remember, in 96, every stadium in Major League Soccer, certainly there were big big facilities, but they were tarped down uh, in a certain way. And uh, the visual in my mind is always looking down to my right and noticing not, not stadium personnel, but the fans pulling the tarps off the, 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 the seats. And, and in the, the right goal from where I sat in the in the press box and and that was weird because i asked danny danny been all the way but that night was sitting right next to me because it was the first night and they wanted everything to go the way they wanted it to go and uh and i was asking him i asked him i said well how many fans do you expect tonight because i expect about thirty thousand. i said well then why are the tarps being pulled and then it was just it was just a pool and then it was pool upon pool upon pool upon pool until you're just wondering like you're thinking to yourself that Maybe the fans are just decided they wanted better seats, you know, at that point. It's like, what is going on? Because you go 30 to 60 to 69,000, you know, 69,000 at the Rose Bowl looks good. You know, it's not it's not the 93, but it still looks good. And um, and from what I understand, there were a bunch of people still outside uh, that never got into the game. In fact, there was a massive crowd, I believe, through halftime that, that really had a hard time getting into the game. So that I take the 12 wins out of the gate. 12 straight wins out of the gate. Uh, that I that I take from me for the first the first year. I loved being able to report on that as the only guy on the air talking soccer. So the few times I could crack the mic and talk about where the Galaxy were going to play and whether they won or not uh, was was uh, was fun for me. And uh, you know the first championship game in '96, what they should have won. They were up two nothing with 20 minutes to go, and they're playing. The field is underwater. Uh, in New England at the time, which was uh, Sullivan Stadium at the time, at uh, whatever it was, the remnants of a hurricane, I believe it was, and they end up losing it. And uh, you know, the '98 team that scores so many goals, incredible team that should have won, and of course, unfortunately, they ran into the expansion club Chicago, and and Chicago ended up taking the championship and knocking them out of the playoffs. But there's there's a lot of them that that, that come together. The early years were, you know, it was it was like it was like. Uh, you know, being on a trapeze without a net. It was, uh, you know, we, we did broadcasts that were really difficult to do. We simulcast them on TV and radio. Uh, we had producers and directors that didn't know anything about soccer. Um, there were certain things that the league wanted us to do uh, that had nothing to do with the game in the broadcast. And, and we just had to go down this list no matter what. At this point of the game, no matter what the storyline was of the game, we had to talk about this. Those are just some of the early things, the growing pains that we went through uh, in soccer in this country, even though it had a long history. It just was kind of always in restart mode. And, and fortunately for us, and we didn't know this at the time, when they contracted the league to 12 to 10, well, we thought, okay, well, we're not going to make it past this. It was actually the best thing that could happen because they just galvanized the league. They galvanized the ownership group. Mr. Anschutz, I believe, owned the Galaxy, Colorado, uh, 
New York, DC United, New York and DC event. And then the craft, Mr. Kraft opened up with owning San Jose, but that flipped over to Mr. Anschutz as well, as well. Uh, and so, you know, we're here because Mr. A, otherwise we probably don't have a league. And, and having said that, we're also here for Robert Kraft and his contacts with television and, and the fact that Don Garber came in with his NFL roots to be able to say, this is what works in the NFL. This is how we're going to apply it over here. And we're going to go forward in this direction. And it, you know, then I don't want to say the rest is history. The rest became history in 2007 when David Beckham came in. Actually, uh, good time to bring up this question. Then uh, you once okay. you once mentioned that uh, LA Galaxy focused so, uh, solely mm-hmm. on a Latin American based audience. Uh, what what could, what do you think convinced the club to reach out to reach out and uh, basically take into you know a broader audience into consideration? I just think it was the way the ownership group was set up. Uh, part of the ownership group had Hispanic broadcasting roots, and therefore they went in that direction. That was the easier route to get going on a, a consistent basis. Um, I think there was a perception also that certain markets were American and certain markets were Latin, and other markets may be able to sprinkle an Italian over here. And we saw that in the early days of, uh, of MLS and the type of players that they brought in and who played here and who played there and who played over there. That's not the case anymore, but that was the mentality of Major League Soccer 1.0 at the time. Um, In terms of the the flip over that happened with English broadcasting along with Hispanic broadcasting, that was just a matter of getting traction. Uh, The first route was we can get Hispanic broadcasting. We have a strong Latin community. We'll concentrate there and then we'll, we'll be able to make some inroads into uh, English broadcasting as well. I think that was kind of how it turned out to be. That, that's why the English broadcasting side on my side uh, began with a talk show. Um, because you got to understand, a lot of English programmers, radio-wise, uh, they ruffle their nose at soccer. There are no commercials in the game. How can we run these? We got so many commercials to run. They found every excuse possible to make it difficult for soccer on the English side. So that was what was happening uh, at that that time and really all the way up to not too many years ago uh, in this league where you have on the English side, especially locally, we can't give up that programming time. We can't do this and we can't do that. Well, it's a bunch of BS. They're just a bunch of guys that don't like soccer. They're, they might be baseball guys. They might be whatever, you know. Right. Uh, and pretty much, you know, since uh, you're – this is another question I have for you, but uh, – you're pretty much uh, beloved by the Galaxy community and the Galaxy uh, in general. I love uh, so you guys, we, too. Thank you. So, but we have to ask, man, uh, has the Galaxy ever showed you any love by giving you your own rings? I do have rings. I have all five. Nice. I have all five of the rings. That that was uh, from day one. I mean, that, the, the Galaxy has shown me a lot of love along the way. And, uh, and uh, there's blue and gold blood in me, believe it or not. <laughs> so, yeah, they've shown me a lot of love and they've taken care of me over the years and and uh, and I'm, I'm part of that family, thank goodness. Sweet. Do you ever bring out the rings and just put them on your hand and look at them? And... It's weird. I put them away. I, I did. I used to wear the ring, a championship ring for opening night, opening day. Uh, however, over the last six years, the rings, all rings are too big for me now by many sizes. 
they used to order me a size 15 ring. Uh, they don't fit. <laughs> they don't even fit <laughs> on my thumbs anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I have them in the boxes. I have them put away. Uh, once in a while, when I'm rustling through things, I run into them and I'll open a box and I'll say, oh, yeah, that year. And oh, yeah, that year. And and they've come a long way with the with the championship rings and how they look. And I and I can't wait till the next one. Um, now that you mentioned all those uh, wonderful championship years, and uh, you've also glossed over some of the other ones in between. Over the past 25 years with the Galaxy, what are some of the events on or off the field that have impacted you the most? Oh, there's a lot. You To me, this type of interaction with you guys is big. Uh, the season ticket holder events is a big deal. I love that because I'm not having to worry about broadcasting the game. I can see you guys. I see the smiles on your faces. Uh, I can see, you know, young fans. Some of you guys have kids, and I can see the fans, the kids that are excited about the team. And, you know, having that opportunity is is important. That's that's part of the community as far as I'm concerned. That's part of the, the, the larger family that is you know, you have the old old school L.A. Galaxy uh, logo on your shirt. You have the old school shirt on right now. I think that's the basketball shirt version. Obviously, I have the new one, uh, or at least the one that we're wearing these days. Um, you know, seeing all that and, and being able to just reminisce is, a, is a, an important part. In terms of events, um, you know, I think even last year, I'll go back to last year, the win in Minnesota. Uh, to see that the players that were that were just like okay, the playoff win in Minnesota, we're we're moving forward here, and to, and to see that uh, monkey off their back and, and uh, walking onto the plane, and and we're usually one of the last people to walk on the plane. The players get on, and coaches get on, and so forth, and you just walk on the plane, and, and you and you you mind your own business, and you make it to the back of the plane, but you see guys that are you know smiling from ear to ear. And had great performances and things like that, and that's 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 what I take from it. Um, you know, the championships, the first championship in 2002. Um, you know, getting that done after losing 2001 in overtime to San Jose and 99, we were outside. There was no room in the broadcast booth uh, at Sullivan Stadium, so it was. Luckily, it wasn't snowing, but it was rather cold, and we were outside broadcasting outside. Uh, doing it, Rick Davis and I. And then in 2002, we're back in Gillette. And again, there's no room in the broadcast booth the way that, that stadium is built. So we're doing it from behind the goal. And and the, the championship goal comes as it's breaking out away from the goal that I'm broadcasting from. And, and it, you know, Tyrone Marshall goes to that right side and he's going away from me. And I, and I can see Carlos Ruiz darting, in, you know, into the penalty area and waiting for that cross to come on in that particular moment and I kind of lost my mind on that one and I think rightfully so um, for a couple of years the Galaxy allowed me to to be their representative at the LA Sports Fans Choice Awards uh, I don't even know if that show is still going on but uh, for a couple of years I was their representative um, introducing them and, and fortunately both of those times was for championships 2005 they were not supposed to win according to the smart people in the league uh, because they had a bad year and they, they made the playoffs but they were the best team in the playoffs going into postseason play and uh, and then going into Dallas I mean 
you know, the stadium wasn't even done. And here you have one of the biggest iconic owners in all of sports, uh, Lamar Hunt, as I'm the early bird getting into the stadium and, and Mr. Hunt is there and he's and he's moving trash cans around getting his stadium ready. That's seen that happen. Um, mm. That was incredible. Uh, calling Landon Donovan's 135 is, is something I'll cherish forever. Being having the honor of doing that. Um, Landon Donovan's first goal for the U.S. national team. Uh, I was in the, the right place at the right time with the USA's playing Mexico. And we're doing that from the, the Coliseum. And uh, Rick Davis and I are broadcasting that game on what was, I think it was pay-per-view at the time. And uh, <laughs> we're broadcasting it from uh, a camera well on the opposite side of the field. And we have bottles flying around. Uh, at us. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, Landon scores right in front of me as he comes down. That's the way it was at the time. And, and Ridge Mahoney from Soccer America magazine, he's our sideline reporter at the time. And so that's, that was in a moment, um, you know, uh, getting the team, the team that turned around in 2009 and, and getting to know Bruce Arena and knowing a certain version of Bruce Arena, having interviewed him on our soccer show and, and not having a very good impression of him to understanding and learning the type of man that he is. And I'll tell you, he's a great guy. He's a great man. He's a very loyal man. And um, he was able to turn this club around and did it in one year. If you guys think about it, the Galaxy back line had two two rookies on it in the championship. You know, um, that was incredible. Bringing in Donovan Ricketts and all the, all the ties the Galaxy had – in that 2009 season, allowing for the rest of the team to catch up and finally towards the backside of the year, catching fire and and getting their way into the playoffs and moving on to the championship there, uh, that was incredible. You know, and Ricketts was standing on his head all over the place for that team. And they were getting ties, ties, ties. I think it was 12 ties in a row, if I remember right. Uh, and, um, and then they caught fire. Um, you know, having Landon Donovan come to play for the Galaxy, being able to call Kobe Jones's games, not only introduce him in 1996, but being able to call his games and and now being able to broadcast with him. Uh, two different Kobe's for me. You know, there was Kobe Jones, the player, and now Kobe Jones, the broadcast partner, uh, Kobe Jones, the family man. Um, up until that point, the, the only thing I knew really about Kobe was the player, what he did for the national team, what he did for the LA Galaxy, and his parents that I would see after a game, and I would say hello to them. Um, there's, there's a lot of different things, I guess, I, I would take from that, but I think I would take your whole show at this point. You know, <laughs> huh. uh, I, I, you know, our new stadium. Uh, I remember when Tim Laiwiki was in our broadcast booth at the Rose Bowl, and he was telling us, uh, if you guys think Columbus Crew Stadium is, is great, you have no idea what's coming. With the with the with the stadium that we're building, and I was like, really, you know, because again, you wonder how much people are going to invest in our game, and look at the type of money Mr. A did. Mr. Anschutz invested in, in in a great facility that is still today top notch facility uh, in sports in this country. You can you can do anything out of that facility, which you cannot say for a lot of these new little smaller stadiums that are being built today. You mean like one thirteen miles away? <laughs> uh, it could be that. Could be. Uh, it's a little bit different. It has nice marble, but it's a little different than ours. Uh, ours has trophies in it, which is great. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that soundbite. Thanks, guys. 
you mentioned uh you, you know broadcasting with kobe jones now i gotta ask um do you guys rehearse did you give him any pointers when he's coming in how how's it working with kobe no uh, no no remember kobe was already doing games before he and i started working together um we didn't revert i'll tell you right now what happened i'll tell you how we actually worked our very first game it was uh i was going to do a game uh in december before uh, for spectrum Sportsnet or time warner at the time and kobe and i were going to do it together and kobe already knew that i was doing radio of course and he was doing tv and and uh, i was nervous i was i was driving up to la uh and my car broke down in camp pendleton and i had to turn back home and I had to go find uh, uh, my dad's old car that had been sitting in, in uh, my parents' house in their driveway. And I said, okay, let me see if this makes it to L.A. And uh, got my butt up there, got up to L.A., got out of the car, walked right straight into the booth. And Kobe, having not worked together, uh, did a one-half of the Galaxy game uh, a cappella, just like that. And that was the very first game Kobe and I did together. Um, what was surprising to me was... The fact that not knowing this, Kobe and I tend to see see the game similarly, uh, which uh, that really makes for, in my opinion, a great team. And, and, you know, and he really helps me along in in being able to broadcast the game. We, we don't argue during the game. We may disagree here and there, uh, but we never get into an argument in a game. And that's what keeps the game flowing. And that's a great thing. He's a natural on the field and off the field, I guess you could say, right? Yeah, Kobe's Kobe's the Hall of Famer on and off the field, absolutely. Hey, Joe, I got another question for you too, man. Um, you know, you've met so many people throughout your career, and I'm curious to know, have you ever been starstruck? Um, I think the only time that, that I, I might have been a bit starstruck uh, was meeting Stevie Wonder. And it was at a Super Bowl. It was the very first Super Bowl I ever covered. And it was in Atlanta. It was the Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl. It was the They just opened the Georgia Dome at the time. So early 90s. It might have been the 93 Super Bowl or something like that. You know, and back then, you know, it's not like today. You know, Radio Row was a big deal. Uh, and um, all of a sudden, there's this big old group coming our way. And we're part of the radio stations that are there. And there was maybe... 50 and we thought that was a lot at the time broadcasting there and and it was our turn to, to to talk to this gentleman and all of a sudden out of the out of the group uh is stevie wonder dressed in this baby blue i don't know what you want to call it maybe it's a suit whatever you want to call it and he sits down on a three-foot table right across from us and i'm like holy cow here's stevie wonder um but uh, that might have been the only one i think I think um, I think I, I look at it more as being an honor. It's it's an honor that I've been able to broadcast games with you know and meeting Kobe Jones and Landon Donovan and, and uh, David Beckham. I mean the the one thing about David is this: uh, what I take away is not all the games and all the uh, the fans going nuts for him is is the effort that David made to be a normal person around people. Uh, you know, he was the Beatles. Anywhere we went, people knew where the Galaxy were. The first game we played in New York, and I know a lot of you guys know about that, what, 64,000 people there at Giant Stadium. 
first game we played in New York was right after they changed the crest to the new crest. And, you know, I was proud and I wore my galaxy polo on my flight, you know, and I flew in. And, and at that point, I was, I was at a different hotel than the team. As I walked into the lobby, and this never happened, I walked into the lobby. I started hearing people saying, the L.A. Galaxy staying here. And uh, that would never happen. And, and that's how I knew things changed in a big way. And David's last night after he won the championship in 2012, I was fortunate enough to be at the the post game dinner and uh, you know just to say thank you uh, and uh, you know that type of thing. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, getting to getting to know Bruce Arena, getting to know you know Siggy Schmidt, getting to work, work with Ralph Perez, uh, who was the assistant coach under Siggy Schmidt, and he was with me on radio. Um, you know those guys. I mean. Thierry Henry, I called his games against the Galaxy. I called his games when he was playing with Barcelona. I called a game where, you know, Messi played against the Galaxy at the Rose Bowl. Uh, Ronaldo played against the Galaxy. I called two of those games. Um, you know, I think when you look back at all that stuff, and you guys are forcing me to look back, then I look, I'm starting to pull stuff out from here and there. Um, but I, I don't know. I was always brought up. Uh, that I would speak to anybody like, "Hey, you, 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 your, your name," and that's that's kind of how I was. I, ne I never asked for autographs. I never have. Uh, the only autographs I have uh, are from uh, Ted Williams, who went to my high school. Uh, uh, I have a galaxy. I have one galaxy flag. That's a team flag that's behind me, um, and I have. Um, two Hall of Fame baseballs uh, that uh, I, in my early broadcast career in the 90s, I became very good friends with Tony Gwynn. He was one of my best friends. And uh, he brought me his Hall of Fame ball and Cal Ripken's Hall of Fame ball. Wow. And, that, and, that's, uh, and that's what I keep from, from a memorabilia type thing that it's autographed. So, and I wasn't starstruck by Tony. I was just like, hey, let's go. And I know a lot of people would be starstruck by him. I just... Maybe maybe I needed to respect them a little bit more, but I just wasn't brought up that way. Hey, cool. uh, Joe, again, I want to thank you for being here and uh, answering all our questions. Uh, but we got some fans that wanted to ask you some questions uh, as well. So we had a question sent in from Luis Alvarez. Uh, he wants to know, uh, he wants to ask, first generation of Galaxy fans compared to the second generation of, fa of fans. So I guess he's trying to say... The Beckham effect, pre-Beckham, yeah. you know, post-Beckham. What's what's the, the change you've seen in fans? Well, I think I think the MLS 1.0 or Galaxy 1.0, I guess in this case, there was a very more uh, it was more familiar, more of a family ownership type of thing with with the players. Um, when David came, it became more of a I don't want to say corporate, but it was an explosion. And you cannot have that type of interaction anymore because of what might filter in. And so that that kind of changed things. So what some of that good happened, the explosion of positive, it took away uh, the closeness that I think fans were able to have on a regular basis with the team. You'd be able to touch them. You know, you'd be able to know them personally. Some players were still that way. But when David came in, things changed in the league. 
uh, you know, the, the car got new wheels on it. I mean, it was a whole different story uh, with David. Um, you know, I, I say this, I've said this before, David opened the door for the types of players that we're getting today in this league. Uh, before we had the retirement league talk about and all that stuff but david came here he was what 31 going to be 32 robbie Keane was 31 Tyrion reese did have still had meat on the bone when he played and played well when he was here uh, in major league soccer uh the players that are coming in now look at what david's doing in, in miami with the players he's bringing in there Iguain, look at what the what the galaxy are doing with pavon 23 years old and we know this guy can play at the highest level uh, Chicharito, who is here now, he's 31 years old. He still has meat on the bones. Uh, Jonathan Dos Santos, a young player, if you think about it at this point. He's still right in the prime of his league, of his, of his career. So all this stuff happened because of David coming here and not doing what a lot of other stars had done here in Major League Soccer, which was go on vacation. David came here and wanted to win. He understood what it was. He was professional all the way through. And that created that created the opportunity to get the right type of players to come to this country. And we're seeing that now. Right. And I'm, I know I'm long-winded with all these guys. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, it, no, no, that's, no worries, no, it's fantastic. Yeah. Better, better them to hear you than us. <laughs> yes. Right, so uh, we get a question we had submitted uh, on Instagram from... Rock RDA, he asked, is there a play or something that happened during the game that left you speechless? Well, I wasn't speechless during Zlatan's first goal. Thank goodness. Um, uh, and I've, I've, fortunately, I was I was lucky that I got all those correct uh, because I would hate to have those type of moments uh, not recorded properly by me. That would be a stain on the moment, I think. Um, the speechless part was the, the 2014 final, the win. Uh, that's the one that caught me. That's the one that I kind of just, you know, just stopped for a moment. And it was in our building. The fans were going crazy. And it wasn't that I wanted to take in the moment. It was more I was just, I just lost my air. I just kind of <laughs> was out, you know, and, and I had to, I had to catch myself a little bit. Uh, because the voice was screeching and it's like, it's like okay hold on <laughs> get a hold of yourself um that would be the one um i think i was a little nervous for the for landon's 135 because you knew it was such a big moment and you, we just didn't know when it was going to happen and, and uh, the way it happened in that match if you look at the play you think robbie Keane's going to score and he's, he decides to play it across and there's landon to knock it home and and fortunately for me it came out uh, well, um, I, to me, sometimes I'll, I'll lose description of a play when something unorthodox happens, something really weird happens. Um, Steve Jolly passing the ball back to uh, Kevin Hartman and the ball hits a, a divot uh -huh. in the in the field. And, and unfortunately, Kevin can't find it. And it turns into the goal. Um, Robin Frazier being taken out. Uh, separated his shoulder in that game and in the Galaxy were down uh, probably the best defender in the league that year. Um, you know, things like that would probably, they get me to pause a little bit. Um, you know, the, unfortunately, the loss in San Jose, I mean, the the playoff loss in San Jose, I can tell you right now, you know, back in those days, that game was on Hispanic television 
And our broadcast, our English broadcast was the SAP on that. And they would, you know, they would, we would send our broadcast down to the truck and they would pick it up and we would be the English part. And so at halftime, the Galaxy are well in control of that. And uh, I remember Doug Hamilton coming up to the booth and we're talking about it and we're saying, well, they're going from here. They're going to go right to Kansas City and all this other stuff. And next thing I know, all of us, things changed. <laughs> things changed in a bad way. And uh, the Galaxy were put in a bad position. San Jose, you have to tip your cap to them. And they, they got the victory. I think that was probably one of those times that you uh, you really think about the words that are coming out of your mouth. And you want to get it right. <laughs> and not offensive. Yeah. Let's put it that way. And then uh, we got them back by stealing Donovan. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we have uh, Plastic Will 1996 says, ask, who will win a, in a wrestling fight, Totino or God? But well, then he corrects himself and says, trick question, Totino is God. No, 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 no. That would be blasphemy. But thank you. We all know what's going on. <laughs> oh, see, now i got to catch my breath. Uh, <laughs> uh, to live and die in LA, in LA from Twitter, uh, he's... He says he would like to hear Joe's thoughts on how far MLS has come in 25 years and where do you see the league in 10 to 20 years? Um, as far as I'm concerned, I think the league is on par with all the other major leagues in this country in terms of the production, in terms of the quality, in terms of what you see in the stadiums, in terms of the marketing, in terms of you look around Dignity Health Sports Park and how it's made up. You can walk into an NFL stadium and you say, okay, that's nothing, no different. Look at what happens in Atlanta. As far as I'm concerned, uh, Atlanta United has a more consistent draw of a near sellout fan than the Atlanta Falcons. Think about that. The Atlanta Hawks have been there forever. And Atlanta United actually is talked about in that city. And the Falcons are not. <laughs> so, excuse me. The Hawks are not. So, you know, that's what I look at what's happening. Um... You know, I know we don't like to talk about it too much, but we have a situation here that, you know, market number one and market number two have two major teams playing in them in their own facilities. New York still needs to get theirs, but they're not playing in the same facility for the sake of argument. And they draw well at Yankee Stadium. Red Bull still needs to do a little better job. On a given night in Los Angeles, let's say it's a Saturday night with both teams home, you got over 40,000 people going to a soccer game. In Los Angeles, with the Dodgers, might could be playing as well. Uh, that says a lot, uh, as far as I'm concerned. That is something that the mainstream media today can't take away from you guys or any soccer fans anymore. So they might be able. They, they may not even give us a highlight on the local news channel. But the fact of the matter is, there's 40,000 people that should be their audience that they're neglecting. And that's what I think where we are in tw in 25 years in. In the next 10 years, I, with the type of ownership we have in this league, I believe that this league will be able to compete for maybe not the number one transfers, but twos and threes and fours. They'll be able to compete for those guys in the next 10 to 20 years. First, inside the next 10 years, not even the next 20 years, inside the next 10 years. Why? Because... The checks don't bounce. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Joel Galactic 
wants to know, Joe, what was your what's your favorite jersey from '96 till now? I like this one. I like the jersey the Galaxy are wearing uh, these days. Not necessarily the different schemes or the 25th anniversary one or the one that was two years ago or whatever. I like this color scheme. I like this crest best of all. Um, uh, I like the Quasar. Uh, that That's my favorite of them. But I will say this. I believe it was the 97 team that had the stripes, the green with the black stripes. Yeah. I always liked that jersey. Um, you know, but you can't say anything about the teal and yellow because you won your first championship with that, right? And, and this one, the one that you're wearing right now, the the old school '96 jersey, you look at it and say that's the first, so you got to respect that. But ultimately, I think this this is the one that they have currently in terms of the color scheme. There's my dog walking <laughs> behind me. Um, this color scheme is, and the logo and so forth is the one that I think can be taken into the future. There's no rebranding in my thought going forward. I hope not because I, ha- I have it permanently no. on my skin. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> and uh, last question from LA Native. What was the funniest thing or prank uh, you've witnessed around the squad? And he goes on by saying his favorite was AJ's continuing plastic Coyote prank on on circuit. <laughs> I think that might be the best one. I think um, you know what when I go to training, um, it's it's been pretty professional all the way around. Uh, the times that I'm in a hotel with the players, I don't get a chance to see a lot of that stuff that goes on. So I'm I'm a little at a loss there. I'm on the outside of that circle. Let's put it that way. I'm in the circle, but I'm not in that circle. You know what? You know what, Joe. You need to pull a prank on Kobe Jones and come back and tell us about it. <laughs> no, because you know what? The payback will be worse, and I don't want to have to deal with it. <laughs> that does it uh, for the fan questions. And again, Joe, I want to thank you here for joining us. It's our honor to have you on here. Uh, I don't know if these guys have anything else to add before we end the interview. Um, Joe, I'm just very appreciative uh, for you joining us again today. Um, I was telling the guys before he came on, I was like, remember, you know, we're having a conversation with him. You know, don't think of it as an interview. It's, it's just a mm-hmm. conversation. And to me, those are the best ones. Um, uh, I have uh, a lot of journalism experience. And uh, <laughs> the guys were saying, you know, don't get nervous. And I was like, you know, I always get a little nervous before every interview. Just because it's you know it's just something that I go through, and um, but in the end, uh, there there have been times when I have had interviews or conversations with people uh, throughout the years that I can honestly say it feels like you're walking in from a winter storm and you're sitting down by you know the nice little hearth. It's warm and you're sitting there with a cup of hot chocolate and you can just sit there relax and feel that warmth and you know you're home. And listening to your voice uh, during Galaxy broadcast, it feels like home. And so I wanted to thank you very much for joining us and uh, looking forward to many more memories of you and Kobe. And uh, hopefully, you know, we get to hear another championship this year, hopefully. Listen, listen, it's an honor for me to be in the position that I am. And uh, I can tell you uh, real quickly here about MLS 1.0 to 2.0. It was an honor for me to be in that position also, 1.0. 
And uh, there were colleagues of mine that really didn't care and kind of ridiculed it and whatever. And what are you talking about this, that, the other? And uh, I'm happy to say that that honor is still there and I still get the opportunity to do it week in, week out or every four days right now in 2020 uh, as the league gets back underway. And uh, to be able to service you guys and uh, to be that voice um, is probably something that I'll take with me, hopefully, to the gates of St. Peter's and beyond. Uh, it's uh, it's a big deal for me. Um, I don't take any game lightly, and and the last thing I would want to do ever do is embarrass you guys. So thank you. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, seriously, thank you, Joe. Thank yeah. you for everything, man. Thank you for giving us some time. Uh, my pleasure. I talk your ear off. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. I'll repeat it again. Better you than us. But uh, yeah, so we're pretty much gonna wrap this up. And I can't say thank you enough, Joe. But do you got okay. any messages uh, for Galaxy fans that might be listening? I would say that, hey, listen, we're all going through a weird time and we're thinking about you guys. And uh, you know, we can't wait to see you back in the stadium in your seats, uh, singing along uh, as the game progresses. And uh, and I think one of the things we take from this is, uh, is that the unfortunate thing that we didn't take for granted on purpose, but uh, we have uh, been forced into realizing how important it is for all of us to be together. And hopefully that'll happen soon. I think we're good with that. Thank, thank you, you very Joe. much, Joe. Sounds good, man. Yeah, right, yeah thank you, Joe. All right, my pleasure.